Hey, are you looking for the perfect holiday gift or stocking stuffer? Then check out our new merchandise at youradvisorswillseeyounow.com. We have special items for students, faculty, and of course, those special student advisors in your life. Shop mugs, sweaters, hats, and so, so much more. Click on the link in the episode show notes below. Hey, everybody. In this episode, we are going to be discussing what it looks like to be a physician, associate, or assistant. If you want more information about this, stay tuned. Hi, I'm Kiki. And I'm Kemi. And you're listening to Your Advisors Will See You Now, a podcast that will help you to figure out all of your options for life after high school. Hey, everybody. Thank you and welcome to another episode of Your Advisors Will See You Now. If you are just tuning in, you are listening to our career series where we have career chats with people in a variety of um, different fields. And today, we are going to talk with our good friend Cole. Cole was actually quick, quick background. Cole is one of my husband's very, very close friends. They've known each other since they were younger. Um, we don't have much time on this podcast for you to tell about that time when you kind of saved Warren's <laughs> life at the camp <laughs> when he jumped into the lake. But other than that, Cole is such a great, like a great person, and we wanted him to be on this podcast so we can share about working in the medical field. So. Without further ado, Cole, introduce yourself, introduce your title, and take it from there. Yeah. Um, well, this is awesome to, to be a part of this podcast. I really appreciate you guys having me. Um, my name's Cole, uh, Cole Turno. I'm a practicing PA, um, a physician assistant or physician associate. Um, I've been practicing for six years um, in emergency medicine and critical care. And I currently work at an academic medical center in Boston, um, Mass General. And I also serve um, as a part of an executive board for uh, PAs in the state as part of the Massachusetts Association for PAs um, as their um, immediate past president. So um, I've been kind of involved in various advocacy groups and student outreach as part of MAPA. uh, And um, I'm really excited to have this opportunity to talk to you guys about what it's like to be a PA and and how how to get to where I'm at. Awesome. No, thank you for that introduction. That's um, that's really cool that you're on, like, just super involved as well. Maybe we'll get into yeah. that a little bit more, just how you got into those different associations and things. So just to start out, can you discuss or just explain a little bit about your educational background, listeners? Sure. Um, so uh, in order to become a PA, um, a PA currently is a, is a master's course pathway, I should say. Um, so it's uh, four years, obviously, uh, high school and then four-year undergraduate degree. Um, do not have to have a particular degree pathway in mind, and, and we could kind of get into that a little bit too, but um, most people have a science major, but it's not necessary. You know, there's lots of people who end up going back and taking, you know, they graduate with a history major or something, and then, you know, later in life, they figure out, well, maybe I do want to go into the sciences and go back and, and do those prerequisites. Um, but there is a, a certain amount of prerequisites that are um, satisfied by a science degree. Um, and then uh, it's a master's program, which most um, programs are around 24 to 28 months. Um, sometimes they're a little bit longer, sometimes they're a little shorter, but generally it anticipate about a two and a half year master's program um, in order to, to become a PA. So I guess I kind of just want to build off that question too for education. So could you just open my mind about your bachelor's. So that's like kind of the study 
progression to become a PA. So you go for a bachelor's degree and you were saying that you could actually, some people usually go the former, the route of science. Is that the most popular route that people do kind of getting their feet wet and getting some of those basic knowledge courses of like, what is it? Like we all have to take biology, but when you go more in depth with the science courses, is that the usual route? Usually. Um, yeah, usually. So PA sort of, sort of working backwards from, you know, if, if you're, a point where you're about to go to college or you're in college and you're thinking about, well, I think I might be interested in the sciences, um, you know, and I think I might find myself going down the pre-professional track to become a PA. Um, you know, it's always helpful to like kind of look at what are the prerequisites to get into that program. What, what kind of sets being a PA apart from being um, a similar field, a nurse practitioner or even a physician is that each of them have their own set of prerequisites and or, or lack of prerequisites to a certain degree. For PAs in particular, there's a there's a, a list of, of prerequisite courses that you need, which are typically, you know, your biology, chemistry, there is usually a human anatomy, physiology, um, sometimes physics, depending on the program, sometimes a social science, depending on the program. Um, and then they're usually within biology and chemistry, there's like variable levels of how much of that you need to take 101, two, so on and so forth, biochemistry. So, you know, if you're somebody who is more, you know, maybe more practically minded, you might look at a, pro a program or a degree pathway that, that kind of incorporates that as a part of the degree. So you're not taking extra or having to go back to take extra classes. So I think most commonly, a lot of people will, will they're even in high school going to going into college or that's their freshman year of college, you know, when they're starting out, they're going to look at a, uh, designing their curriculum that will just satisfy um, um, those prerequisites. That being said, you know, a lot of PA, the PA profession is anticipated to rise within 30 to 40% over the next decade. And so there's actually a lot of investment in education, um, not graduate education, but actually undergrad programs, um, universities are creating PA pathways like um, um, or pre-professional pre tracks that lead them to becoming either a nurse practitioner or PA or something to that, to that effect. Because there's so much, um, it's such a, it's a very popular and and, and rapidly growing uh, profession. Um, and so, uh, like for instance, uh, Stonehill, which is my alma mater, a small arts college in southeastern Mass. Um, you know, when I was graduating, people were, you know, I graduated with a neuroscience degree, um, and we can get Ooh, into why I took that. Because <laughs> I took some classes, that was rough. Prophecy for that one. <laughs> Thank you. Not everybody um, that was looking to become a PA or a nurse practitioner or something like that was taking um, those settled curriculum. Like they weren't bio majors, they weren't chem majors, they weren't neuroscience majors. They were creating their own curriculum and graduating with sort of, uh, for lack of a better term, like a made up um, degree. And uh, it was like a, you know, it was like. Uh, I think it was interdisciplinary studies and health sciences. Like it was, it was created, but there was no, um, you know, uh, degree person that you could go to. There was no counselor for that person. You know, it, it was kind of a made up. They worked with the registrar and they kind of just made a degree. Now, following my graduation, there is now a degree program for people at Stonehill. We usually generally confer some sort of biology, but it's like biology of health sciences degree. Will graduate with a bachelor's of science in biology of health sciences. There's something to that effect. So it's a it's a created now named curriculum. And so I say all of that because you know when you're looking at your 
at what sort of avenue to go, you can either, depending on which undergraduate facility or institution that you go to, you may be able to create your own curriculum that settles some of these prerequisites. You may be able to find something that's sort of pre-made for you that's not like a designated biology major or chem major that has all the other stuff that you may not be interested in taking, like doing, you know, inorganic chemistry or, um, you know, higher level physics or, um, you know, zoology or virology, you know, other like really kind of nitty gritty biology sciences that you don't necessarily need if you're going to be going into a more clinical pre-professional track, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I think that was very helpful too. Um, just for just for students to be able to look now for some schools that may have a track already within it. So they're not kind of piecemealing it themselves. But I feel like mm -hmm. that was definitely such a common thing, even with Kiki and I at Elon. I think they did some of that similar with the sciences as well. Mm -hmm. So that's very helpful. Mm -hmm. It is. So maybe I'm skipping around, but you already mentioned physician, you've mentioned nurse practitioner in your PA. I'm sure like anyone listening has probably encountered one of those three that gone to the doctor what made you want to be a pa and did you know going into college that you wanted to go that route that's a that's an excellent question and it's a question that i field from a lot of different students um whether they're high school or undergrad about well you pick pa there's like all these different pre these professional tracks with what's right for me why did you pick this um, and, and I'll be honest, you know, um, each one has its pros and cons. Um, each has uh, professional benefits and personal benefits, um, as well as detractions. Um, and so for me, how I, when I actually was looking at, well, when I was in high school, um, I wanted to be a vet. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to work with people. I wanted to be with animals because I loved animals, I loved horses, I loved dogs, and I wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, and I was kind of a nerd then. And so I, you know, on one of my summer breaks, I like, uh, you know, I did this really interesting kind of camp where it was like a veterinary campus for high school students that were looking to potentially go to vet school or had interest in vet school. Um, it was held at the Tuff Grafton campus in Massachusetts, which for those who are interested in veterinary medicine is a really, really big veterinary, um, education place. Um, it's one of the top vet schools the country um, but they hosted this camp for for high school students that were interested um, and so we got all the experience of, of what it's like to be in vet school how do you get in there so et cetera et cetera and without belaboring it basically you know what I saw was that um, vet school is as competitive academically as medical school that is actually much harder to get into compared to medical school because there aren't as many schools and the classes so it's a numbers game pretty much even like the top academic people it's very hard to get into vet school right away and so i say all that because the, the reason why i ended up picking well maybe i really should look into people into human medicine because i i didn't want to i i know myself i was a smart kid i had good grades but i wasn't you know i wasn't a 4-0 across the board and you know i, I didn't want to be fighting this uphill battle um, and I also, vets, you know, pets are a luxury. So in a time of recession, are you going to bring your dog to the vet if you're choosing between a meal on the table or, or bringing your dog for a, a checkup? And the reality is, is a lot of people say the dog's going to be fine. Um, right. And, and so it's actually, it's not as, um, your, your return on investment of going to vet school is not, um, depending on where you're practicing and what you're practicing is not always as great. 
And so to spend all that money to get that education and then potentially not to be making a, a amount of money back on it that would have been you know, practical in my mind. This is only my opinion, of course. So like, you know, obviously we need vets. We need, there are people, plenty of people that go and do it. But um, for me, I was like, maybe I should look more into human medicine. So then that brought me back towards, well, what can you be? And my mom worked for um, a, a hospital. She was uh, in more of the corporate side of of, of healthcare, but um, she knew all these different people. She knew physicians, she knew surgeons, she knew PAs and nurse practitioners and nursing, of course. And she was actually a nurse in the military 30 years ago. So I've always had kind of an innate um, relationship with healthcare, even growing up. And so uh, basically, I kind of like, so these were the options. And so I ended up meeting with people who were PAs and, and learning more about them. And so um, the to get to Kiki's question is how, how I ended up finally getting to picking between physician and PA. It was more of a practical practical thing. You know, the scope of practice for PAs, what, what they are capable of doing um, clinically, depending on the specialty, overlaps with that of a physician by roughly 85 to 95% in outside of the operating room. So if you're a surgeon, you're going to do a lot more what a PA can do just because of the immense amount of time and training it takes to become a surgeon. But in my clinical practice from day to day, um, I uh, do a lot of the things that my resident co-colleagues who are resident doctors, they've graduated medical school, but they're not independent attending physicians yet. They're not, they're not grown-up doctors yet, right? They're still going through their training. Um, I do everything they do. And in fact, I'm training them sometimes because I've done it longer. Or I've done more of these XYZ procedures. And so I'm actually teaching doctors how to be doctors, um, but I'm not a doctor. And so, and so I found that always really, really interesting. And I learned that by just shadowing. I was in high school. I shadowed. I saw when I was in college. I shadowed, um, you know, and had those opportunities to, to go see what people were doing um, with these different degrees. And then um, ultimately it came down to, you know, well, if I can do basically the same thing, that's great. How do you get there? And the rate, and the truth is, is that PAs um, and physicians, well, the major difference is their time of training. Mm-hmm. So to be a physician, you work, you do four years of a bachelor degree. So you or you get an undergraduate four-year degree. You have to have taken a set of prereqs. You have to study for a um, entrance exam, which is their MCAT. Then you get into medical school. It's four years of medical school. And then you have to match into a residency. Depending on what specialty you go into, you'll go into a residency, which is usually three to four years. And then if you want to do something specific, you usually do a fellowship, which is an additional one to two years. And that's not assuming that's a non-surgical specialty. So you're talking four, four, three, it's 12 years general, 12 years to be a for example, a wilderness medicine, wilderness emergency medicine physician, so someone who practices emergency medicine but has a specialty in rural care and, and extreme wilderness survival medicine, um, that's a 12-year career path. If you want to be a orthopedic surgeon, for example, it's three years of bachelor, four years medical school. It's a five- to seven-year residency to get the surgical training then an additional one to three years fellowship to become like a orthopedic knee surgeon, right? You you just fix people's knees and shoulders or whatever. That's that's going to be 
you know, 15 years, something like that. So it's, it's a long time. And you're not paid that $300,000 a year or whatever the orthopedic surgeon makes at seven years. You're, you're not getting paid that. You're getting paid probably you know, seventy dollars to $80,000, which is not anything to shake a stick at, but you're going to work 120 hours a week. So you, know, you can do the math on what your actually hourly pay will be. And so for me, you know, I had a lot of interest in being a physician for a lot of reasons, but the, the, the length of time and the expenditure, the, you know, cost of that education um, was not something that, you know, parents were going to help with and, and not something uh, that, uh, you know, I wanted to eat with just loans. I mean, these, it, it, the loan crisis is a, is a whole other thing, which I'm sure is probably a topic for this podcast another day. But, you know, you know the... Yeah, I didn't want to incur $300,000 of debt privately. And so for me, if I was going to become a physician, it would have been a military route because the military pay for you. But what you what you give to the military, they you they also take back, right? So you give that you ask of them to pay for your medical education, they will then ask of you to serve actively. Mm-hmm. And so um I knew that that would have basically that time of that time duration of of training would have basically made me a career military person, which was not something I necessarily wanted to do and, and be moving around constantly and all that. So coming back to being a PA, well, it's only 28 months of education. You do have to have some clinical experience beforehand. You have to get um, dedicated clinical hours, usually around 2,000 clinical hours, whether that's being a CNA, an EMT, um, you know, a medical assistant of some kind, which does not require nearly as much clinical training to get into those positions as it were, do something, or you could even be a paramedic, you know, you can do all these different clinical types of skills. And then once you have those skills, you do take the prereqs. It's only 28 months of education. There is no mandatory residency following the closure of PA school. Um, and uh, then you go to work and you're making you know, good money uh, out out the gate when you graduate um, as long. And the the idea of being a PA and the same thing with being similarly with a nurse practitioner is that the training is more fundamentals of medicine. Um, and the, the, the profession was based in providing primary care and increasing access to primary care. And so um, it, it turns out as modern medicine has gone on, um, that most PAs do work in some sort of subspecialty, and we work very closely with our physician colleagues, but they practice in cardiac surgery, they practice in the emergency department, they practice in the ICUs and critical care wards that were taking care of COVID patients that were very, very sick, work on transplant teams, they work in dermatology offices. So they work all across the spectrum of healthcare, um, and the, the, the premise is that you go to this 28-month program, you graduate, you have the fundamentals of medicine, you're provided a lot of clinical and procedural skills, um, and then you work for somebody knowing that you're a new grad PA, and they will provide you the -the on-the-job training that you need to become successful. Um, For me, that sounded great, because that meant instead of being 35 and starting my career as like an adult physician, I would be 25, and I would be, you know, Money and so that that's that's where I ended up. Um, that's how I ended up coming to 
being one and being a PA is, is that for me, it was a practical decision. I wanted to take care of patients. I wanted to be a, a bedside clinical person, but I didn't want to invest my 20s in doing that. Cool. I can't. All right. I'm like, where do I even begin? So I like that Kiki and I all the time, you said so many nuggets that me and Kiki say all the time. Like we always tell people Mm -hmm. do your research. And I think you just laid out a great example of first you were talking about your return of investment. So first you were thinking about becoming a vet, but then you were also looking, would this really be a good return on my investment versus is it going to be stable? Heaven forbid, like we just had a pandemic or if there is um, like inflation, you know? So you're like, well, is this going to be a competitive market for me? And then something that I also like that you considered was how many years is it going to take and where do I see myself in that that length of time? So like you were saying, I want to get to work in my mid-20s versus do I really want to stay in school for X amount of years consistently and get out at that point. And then if you were to get out at that point, you also made a, a great point as to the loans and how much you're getting paid right at, right when you begin in the amount of hours. So I think that was really great explanation of your return of investment, understanding all the things that go into it. And we always tell students, you know, do your research to find out the best avenue for you and see what's the best fit for you in terms of education. Because some people, some people don't even like high school. So it's like, would that really be the best track for you to go on to maybe pursue a career that you need to do like 15 extra years of straight education? Like if you can't really sustain even um, if you get itchy in the classroom for one hour lecture. So mm-hmm. it's really being real with yourself, seeing what that best fit is. And I just love how you went about the return of investment and also how you said you were able to speak with some PAs in shadow and mm-hmm. that you also went to the the Tufts school. Cause I actually took my dog to, to Tufts. Their, their veterinary clinic is amazing. Um, but how you went to like the summer camp, you were able to get access and to see for yourself what it would look like. And from that, determine what would be would work for you best. And I think that's the best way to go. And for people in high school or early on in college to do so they're not wasting their time later on saying, man, I wish I would have rethought this entire process. So I think that was just amazing. That whole entire the whole entire speech is perfect. Um <laughs> something I would like to ask. So for your particular job, like, so what is something that, what is like your day to day look like on average? Sure. I'm a, I work in, I've worked in a few different fields. So um, I've worked in um, heart failure groups with heart transplant patients. I've worked with emergency medicine patients, which is sort of the, the chunk of what my career has mostly been. And then I've also worked in critical care um, in the ICUs, working with really, really sick patients. So uh, we can talk about the emergency department just because that's that's probably the meat of what I've done um, over the last several um, six years I've, I've worked in the emergency department. So PA, so PAs, um, kind of going a little bit back to what I was saying before about PAs and and, and how they're trained and how that education model works is that um, it, sort of very very briefly is that the PA profession came out of actually needing uh, increased. Um, PAs were created to create frontline, well-trained, advanced-trained paramedics, um, actually in the military in, in the Vietnam War. That's how we were. Baby- that's how it all started. Was was providing basically combat medicine. Um, you know, and it, it's a matter of dollars. The the U.S. military pays for X amount of dollars for every physician. They didn't want to risk. You know, Vietnam. A lot of a lot of people died um, in those front front line situations. They didn't want to expend a physician 
to be on the front lines with all these Marines and, you know, corpsmen and all that and potentially dying, that costs a lot of money to the military to then retrain replacement physicians. It's kind of sad to think of it in this way, but so they were said, well, how can we be more economic about this? We should give people who already have advanced combat training, combat medicine training, we should give them more training and then they can do more um, to help um, in this in this really hostile environment and to help provide medical care without risking um, folks who have more advanced training that maybe can stay further back from the front line. So they took corpsmen um, who are like medics and they trained them, the Navy corpsmen, and they provided ex- extra training. And when the war ended, they didn't have any place to go. They, they had all this training, but there was no job for them because there was no like advanced paramedic job in, in the civilian world. So uh, Duke University in North Carolina created the PA profession, and they said, well, we can use this increased medical training, and we're going to apply it to where there's a need, and there was a gap in primary care. You're going to help with the primary care shortage. And over time, it evolved, and PAs have now spread into all the specialized medicines, uh, medical practice that I described before. And so PAs practice in all sorts of different uh, places, and and the training itself, the education model, is providing a lot of intensive didactic training um, that is akin to what is done in in medical programs, and then they have about a 12- to 16-month clinical phase where you go through various clinical rotations to, to kind of round yourself out. Coming out the other side, you go to work at the emergency department is this place where it's, you know, a lot of craziness, a lot of random presentations, a lot of, you're going to see a lot of acuity and a lot of illness, but you're also going to see a lot of primary care. It's a really good niche for PAs to fit in. And actually, I think it's one of the top um, uh, subspecialties of medicine that PAs work in is, is emergency medicine. Um, surgical subspecialties and primary care. Those are really like the top three um, where people are employed. The emergency department, my day, my day-to-day is very similar to um, any really, really a lot of physicians, um, at least in my clinical practice. Um, my, I work at an academic medical uh, center. I work at MGH. We see over 130,000 patients a year through the emergency department, um, 110 to 130. So it's a very, very busy center. PAs are involved in the care of anything from, um, you know, uh, ingrown toenail, uh, you know, something really a stub net toe to broken mm-hmm. arm to um, working in traumas and in um, code situations when people have had an unfortunate cardiac arrest. There are PAs that are involved in resuscitating those patients. And so PAs are, are well-trained and well-adapted to work in any one of those situations, and, and that's that's what I do. So, um, you know, our schedule is kind of set out that you're sent to these different acuity levels within our emergency department. You know, so some days I might work in fast track where I'm working with patients who have, you know, colds and, you know, coughs and cuts and bruises and, you know, stub toes and maybe maybe a broken arm or something or a really deep cut laceration that needs to be fixed. Um, doing those kinds of procedures, you know, stitching, draining abscesses and, you know, uh, Know, taking fluid out of people's knees if knees are really swollen or infected or stuff like that. So doing a whole slew of different, very like simple inside procedures to uh, working in our area that's called acute, which is um, uh, basically a critical care trauma area where I'm helping with um, patients who are, you know, in acute heart failure, people who are um, systemically infected and have really low blood pressure, putting them on medications to help raise their blood pressure and really 
working in uh, many ICUs, um, you know, and, and really taking care of critically ill patients. And like I mentioned, even helping assist in the resuscitation of patients who have arrested in the field and, you know, don't have a pulse and we're helping bring them back and being involved in doing critical care procedures. So PAs are capable of doing all of those things. And a lot of that is because of the training that I've received after I've graduated from PA school and, and the on, onboarding that I got um, as a professional PA. So um, the, the emergency department's a really fantastic place in the sense that, you know, you see and do a lot of different things. No day is the same. Um, there is no there is no routine um, to my day um, when I'm working because it just it's so random. I, I've walked in at 7 a.m. and it's like, you know, a bomb went off and, and it's just craziness and you're just hitting the gas, you know, you're just, there's no time to wait for that coffee to, to kick in and you're just go, go, go. And, and then there's other days where it's pretty chill or, it ebbs and flows. And so um, it's a, it's a really interesting place to work. It's a really challenging place to work. Um, but it's uh it, it can be a lot of fun. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. Um, what's that show? This is random. There's a show on TLC. It's called untold stories of the ER. I, I picture you in that because it's <laughs> like, it's, it's like reenactments, but it's stuff that really happens. And you just can't imagine stuff. Cause you mentioned like, like a stub toe or ingrown toenail i can imagine yeah seeing other traumas and things like that too you have a as a pa as a physician as well but as a pa you all have like a wide scope of experiences that help help your training and help you be really great medical providers um on that kind of same note though you mentioned you work in emergency medicine i've explored the PA field for myself a little while ago, and I've I learned that there's a lot of flexibility in the field. Can you talk about that flexibility? So I know, like you mentioned, when you go to med school, you are going to residency for a specialty, whereas with PAs, you all can kind of explore a variety of specialties. Can you like talk about how how you can get how that happens because I know your training, you get trained in everything through clinicals, but like if you decided in a year you wanted to move specialties, how would you like go about that? And how does the flexibility work? That's, those are really awesome questions. And, um, you know, kind of our, our additives to the kind of uh, monologue I had a little while ago about why I picked being a PA. I mean, you can kind of go on and on about it, but um, I think a, a major attraction to being a PA over being a physician and a nurse practitioner is exactly what you mentioned, which is that flexibility. Um, because PAs are trained on that fundamental basis of medicine, there is no subspecialization. Now, certainly people do, and now there exists some PA residency programs, and there are some um, even doctoral PA programs where people are getting more like academic doctorates, not clinical doctorates, um, that are really kind of focused in on a, on a, on a sub part of medicine. But generally, you can kind of, kind of pick wherever you want to go. Um, and because you have that generalist training and because every 10 years you take a generalized medical board where it's sort of just a review of all major medical topics, you have the capability of sort of just kind of, if you have a PA license, you can kind of apply to whatever job. Now, the, the challenge is, is that, you know, making sure that your the people that are going to hire you obviously want you to have had experience. So it's hard to make that transition from, you can, but you could theoretically make a jump from working as a general surgical PA, you know, helping taking care of people without their gallbladder out or their appendix out to then going to a dermatology office. You can theoretically do that. Um, the dermatology office, 
surgical office, depending on which one you're going from, may say, well, what's your experience in this particular field? And what skills do you have that are going to apply? And so, so that's where it ends up becoming a challenge as, as you go on in your career. Um, but that's another reason why I picked emergency medicine, because I see everything. I, I see derm stuff. You know, I see, I see surgical stuff. I see critical care. I see cardiac stuff. And so you end up kind of doing so, you do a lot. I mean, you basically see every facet of medicine, and you have to have a knowledge base for it. Um, it's very, it's kind of easier to make that jump. So that was the reason why I picked emergency medicine in the first place was because I'm practicing everything in a sense. And so if there's something that catches my fancy or, or makes me want to pursue a particular specialty, then maybe I'll just kind of focus my, my, my own learning on that and then maybe find another role. And it's actually funny that you guys mentioned that I'm in the midst of a job transition as it were. Um, oh, cool. now, um, I'm, I'm actually switching to go to critical care full time because what I've discovered in working in emergency medicine is that I really like taking care of people and really, really sick people. And I'm really interested in the theology and pathophysiology of, of those types of clinical states. And so I like taking care of those, that, that type of caseload. And so I'm, I, I've worked in the ICU on a per diem status, meaning I, I've picked up, you know, I pick up a handful of shifts in a month or so to, to just get exposure and learning and, and, and experience. But now that's going to be my, my full-time pursuit. Um, but my, and for anybody that's interested in, in becoming a PA or who's already PA or, or undergrad or what have you, you know, the, the flexibility piece is really cool because you can just, you know, whatever you're interested in, you are capable of pursuing further and then, and then kind of, you, you can, your own path in, in your career, which is really cool. <clears throat> the other added benefit of it is, is that, say, my wife wanted to pick up and move to California, and, you know, you know, just as a hypothetical and said, I want to move across the country and I want to go XYZ, um, that's great. I, c- I could theoretically go because there are PA jobs in California. I don't necessarily need to, in, in a pinch, Obviously, I prefer to you know work in emergency medicine or critical care in California. But if I couldn't, like I could work in as a general surgery PA. I could work as you know, an office uh, primary care. It, you know, push come to shove, your training and your capability allow you to apply for those jobs um, and can increase your um, your job accessibility. So mm-hmm. it, it's a really cool, cool position. And, and that, that is different from physicians, as you mentioned, because physicians, you know, they go to medical school, they go to a residency that's very, very delineated. And same thing, actually, with nurse practitioners. Um, nurse mm-hmm. practitioners have to delineate a, a career track. Um, and so if they decide, I don't want to be, so there's like a handful of different career tracks, like there's psych, pediatrics, geriatrics, acute care, and then I think probably missing one, but um, but like let's say you were a nurse practitioner and you went through nurse practitioner programs and you became a pediatric NP, meaning your clinical coursework was focused on becoming a pediatric specialist. If you said, I don't really want to take care of little kids anymore, I'm interested in taking care of psych patients, for example, you would have to go back and redo your training to then get uh-huh. the psych certificate to go back and, and do that. And so that's not something PAs need to do. You don't have to go back to school to like redo 
clinical or didactic hours. You can just get a different job. Wow. <laughs> and then I guess for me, because because <laughs> I think what's so appealing about this career is just the flexibility, like location wise, with you're able to take on additional hours in different sex, and then you can kind of pivot into different other areas of PA. So I love, and also like one of the other highlights is you're helping people. Can you tell, I guess, a little more about the highlights of your position and then also some of the challenging hard parts of positions? Because, you know, it's such a blessing you're helping people. And then sometimes I can only imagine if we're to go with someone who has a stubbed toe early in the morning and deal with someone who has a cardiac arrest in the afternoon, um, I can imagine what you're going through the whole entire day. Can you speak a little bit some of the highlights and the challenges of this position? Great. Um, absolutely. I think that's a good segue um, for another point, actually, I was going to make to, to Kiki's question was, um, so was it, you know, what I love about my job is that I get to help people. I get to practice medicine, which in and of itself is, you know, learning about science and, and human anatomy and human physiology and, and being involved in a career that's, that, that um, practices and puts into Puts, puts into practice new healthcare innovations on a on almost daily basis. And especially in this pandemic, you know, with all these new drugs that have come out and different therapies and different ways that we take care of critically ill patients, you know, the, the amount of money that's been invested in that type of research, I'm on the practice practical end of that. And so I get to see that could get sort of put into motion. And that's a really cool part of my job. I uh, enjoy... Um, being involved in those those high intensity situations as well as low intensity situations and, and you know being able to either help a patient through their broken arm or or um you know helping a family cope with the loss of a loved one um or 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 dealing with somebody who's really really critically ill um, and explaining to them what's going on that that there's a lot of fulfillment that that comes from that um you know i i work in a in a in, in two particular fields that are very high acuity, deal with a lot of um, dark um, themes, for lack of a better word. There are people who are PAs who don't have to deal with that. You know, they they mm-hmm. work in primary care or dermatology offices or or orthopedic outpatient, right? They're they're dealing with like the 22 year old who twisted his knee who now can't play football for a few weeks, right? You know, a bummer in its own right, but like you know, it's there's different levels of of um, right. you know, negative themes that can can exist, right? I, I would say that you know the the positives of my job. Um, well, before I get into that, you know, uh, when I went into PA school and I was looking at what I wanted to do, people asked me. Well, what my mentors asked me to ask myself was, you can either practice life saving medicine or life maintaining medicine. Um, and both are really important, and we need both. But you just mm-hmm. have to pick what what's your flair, what's your what 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 gets you excited to to go to work. And for me, you know, the life saving stuff, being in that those high intensity situations was really interesting to me. Um, the positives are there's really high highs, but there's also you know, as a, on the negative, on the flip side, there's a really low lows where you're dealing with some dark themes, and so and you're seeing. You know some gnarly stuff from time to time, and 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 frankly, you're not always dealing with people who are the kindest, you know, because um, whether by virtue of their own circumstance or by virtue of this is the worst day of their life or their family's situation, you know, you're not going to always see 
you know, sunshine and rainbows, you go to work. Um, and that can be, that can be taxing and, and wearing on somebody um, to do that um, as a career. Um, and so having outlets and having good ways to cope and prevent burnout is really, really important. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of positives to what I do, um, I, I think, but you have to understand that when you're working in these particular situations, there's some negatives too that you just have to be mindful of and, and have, have a way of coping. Um, you know, for me, the reason why I'm switching to the ICU um, in particular is actually because I'm, I, uh, for my own sake, I've had some burnout in emergency medicine where I'm, I'm dealing with really sick people who really need me. And then there's just a lot of people who don't. And it's more than just like they came to the emergency department inappropriately or, or, you know, I don't find what's wrong with them interesting, which is like not, you know, that's sort of the reality of it is it's not that I don't find it interesting is that's just not what I want to practice. That's not the medical care that I want to provide. Um, you know, and so, uh, when you deal with that a lot where you're like, you see all these really bad things and then you have to deal with somebody who's complaining about something that's so by comparison, um, not nearly as significant that can become also taxing in its own right. Um, mm. and so that, that's why I'm switching to the ICU because everyone there, regardless of their background or their personal situation or what they've done or haven't done the type of people that they are, they all are really sick and they all need my help. And so you can kind of see past um, other things that you can't really, mm. it, that are, that is very much in your face in the emergency department in particular. Um, people who work in the non sort of acute care specialties may have a different like pros and cons, you know, people who work in a primary care office might say, well, the benefit of what I do is I get to follow people longitudinally. I get to follow people for years. Mm. I take care of them and their families. Um, I don't have to deal with those really crazy intense situations. Um, but the, maybe the negative side is that my wait list is, you know, months long and the work never ends because people are calling me at all hours because they're, you know, this person's sick or this medicine's not working or this insurance won't pay for this and I've got to pay, I've got to deal with it, you know? So there's, there's pros and cons to any set of medicine that you go into. And that's just the reality of, um, going into particular, fields and working in, in the medical field. You know, there's really cool things and there's some uh, logistic and administrative things that kind of make healthcare cumbersome. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a great explanation. We, or great way to say what some of the highlights and challenges were. You did that really, really succinctly. We, we always ask to various ways to get into a field we know you've already explained it and we already knew we already know yeah. that going to PA school is pretty structured very streamlined but if there's someone listening today who is either an undergrad and never heard of PA and they're like oh this sounds really interesting or someone who's maybe our age and they're like they already have their degree they have some experience in something else but maybe this field is interesting to them and they're looking to pivot. So what would be some advice that you would give somebody, especially going back to, you need all these patient care hours, which is not easy to get, which is what I really love the PA field. But I was like, wow, this time in my life, I couldn't, I couldn't just drop a full-time job to do something where I know I wouldn't be getting as much, but it's still like really amazing. And people in their thirties, forties, fifties, 
pivot into this field? So long question, but what would be some advice you would give someone looking to get into it and some advice, some encouragement um, on kind of how to shift where they are right now to move into this field? Yeah, yeah, um, sure. You know, that's exactly right, too. When you look at PA, you know, as 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 another, I I sit on admissions committees for for, um, EU, um, or I've assisted, I've been a guest um, as a part of their admissions folks. So I see all these people, you know, there's 22-year-olds that are just graduating college or or finishing college, and then there's, you know, 45-year-olds that are like, this is a career change. And so that is kind of the beauty about being a PA is that, you know, we get all of these different um, experience levels and, and walks of life that kind of come back to the, the PA profession. Um, my my biggest recommendation um, for somebody who is, let's say, younger, that doesn't have as much life experience yet and, and is looking to see where they want to go next, I, I think my, my biggest piece of advice that I can give is, is to try and get those patient care hours. And, and the way that I did it was that I got a EMT license. So, and you don't have to do an EMT license. You can get a medical assistance certification. You get a CNA certification. But if you get one of these certifications, you can then apply to a part-time job or per diem job doing it. If you can do that job, that will introduce you to the medical field in, in, the, in the sort of the more, the, the simplest, most entry-level way that you can. Um, and if you can tolerate being a certified nursing assistant, whether that's individually helping one person got significant disabilities or um, working in a nursing home, or if you're working like I did, I, I was a CNA in college um, at Brockton Hospital on a medical floor. You know, if, you're, if you can help somebody with their activities of daily living, you can help them toilet, you can help them get dressed, you can help bathe them. You, like you can, you develop a bedside manner, and and you can kind of really get a feel. Do I want to take care of people? Like, do I physically want to be here every day? You know, in this type of environment, um, do I want to learn more to be able to do more? And if the if the answer is no, because you don't want to be around all of that, then the answer is probably probably maybe medicine's not for you. Maybe or 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 at least, you know, bedside medical medical care is maybe not for you, right? Um, so I think my biggest, uh, you know, piece of advice for someone who's young and moving into this is um, to do the research on their prerequisites, taking those types of classes, not inundating themselves, but take a class, see if you're interested, see if you like it. Um, the benefit to taking some of these other types of curriculums, whether like CNA or EMT, is that they oftentimes, as a part of that certification, have anatomy and physiology classes or have like very basic like medical knowledge classes. And like, if it interests you, maybe you'll want to learn more, you know? And so before you dive into really nitty gritty, difficult classes that might actually end up hurting your GPA, if, if it's not something you like, or you don't do well in, you know, try it, like do a summer course. You know, I did a summer EMT course. It was, you know, 12 weeks. I got my EMT license. And then I worked for Stonehill as an EMT doing, you know, different uh, club sport games. And then when I, using my EMT license, I became a CNA at Brockton. And then that that's how that ended up working. And then I worked as a CNA, and then I worked as an anesthesia tech at another place because I had this EMT license, and they just kind of made it work. They said, oh, you have this experience. We can, we'll show you the ropes on this. I actually have a lot of knowledge. Um, and so 
doing something that allows you to be marketable to then get those patient care hours and be paid for it. I think that's the other big thing is being paid for, like you said, there's, there's a ton of patient care hours. And depending on the program, you may have 1,000 to 2,000 clinical hours that you need to get. That's up to a year of full-time work, how that translates out to. You, know, you probably want to be paid for your time. Um, you know, and so, you know, doing something that you can be paid for, um, is also helpful. Um, so that way you're not, you're not just like just mating your hours, you know, in a way. Um, so that, that, that was my route. That was how I took it. A lot of people do different things. Um, for me, I think that the best thing that you can do before you get in any sort of pre-professional track within medicine is to work in medicine and work at that entry level. Um, and just make sure you know that's what you like. Now, if this is a career change for somebody, I would still probably say the same thing. If you're, if, mm-hmm. In fact, there were PAs that I worked with that were in their 40s. Um, they were in finance for years, and they were like, you know what? This just wasn't for me. I want to do more. I want to do something, or I want to do more uh, than what I'm doing right now. I want to do something that's helping people. I don't want to work behind a desk anymore. Um, and they, they kind of about face, and they, sort of, you know, they go to through the PA prereqs, you know, my recommendation to them is before they make that leap, take these classes, become volunteer in these types of positions. So that way you get a feel if, if you like it. Um, and if you do like it, then you can kind of use that to your advantage and then apply it forward. This was very insightful. I can't, you keep on like already touching on a lot of the points that Minky always say a lot, but I really, this was just a really great, insightful episode. And I know that there's just so many people that are interested in the medical field or they just don't really know the different breakdowns of like the different positions in medical field or how many years there are. I think this was a great uh, episode for just a basic episode for anybody who is possibly thinking of going into the medical field and trying to find ways to maybe get a little bit of experience or to see if they like it. And I think that this Mm -hmm. was just excellent because, you know, going into the medical field, it's, it is a lot of schooling in in different, in different ways. And it's so structured. So it is something that you want to know in the beginning, if this is a good fit for you. So I love that you were saying like, Hey, get like some EMT work, get the bedside manner. Like, you know, those like the basic things to really see if that's a good fit for you. If you see yourself there in the long run, how you even mentioned before, like you're dealing with different populations and even just you were saying, I want to switch them out more to the ICU because you feel as though that's kind of where your purpose to right now. And that just made so much sense to me too. Cause you're just like, I'm getting a little taxed out of someone saying like, Hey, you need to drop everything. I just got an ingrown toenail to versus you're like, there's people that actually need my attention. And I know no matter what's going on, that this is really like, I want to be positioned there to help these people. So I just think that that was so amazing. And thank you to everybody out there, whether you're PA, doctor, nurse, primary care, thank you to all people that are out there just helping us. I know that's not an easy job. Some of the things that you see, some of the people that you deal with are not thankful, they're not thankful, Mm -hmm. but we just really thank you guys. I'm just going to add you guys to my prayer list, too, because I'm like, you guys do go through a lot. So I'm just like, (laughs) thank you guys so much for all that you do. And Cole, just thank you so much for coming on this episode and sharing all that information with us. It's really, really appreciated. Seriously. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, my my pleasure. And um, I'm really happy to be here. and And I hope people can find this helpful. I will I will put my little disclosure out there that, you know, people should obviously look in into into more about these different professions. You know, I, I spoke a lot about being a PA, 
Um, I think PA is being great. That's my bias. But, you know, people you know should look into nursing. They should look into nurse practitioners. They look should look into physicians and really uh, do a deep dive for themselves about what might be a good match for them because they're all each and on their own um, fantastic careers, each with their own benefits, pros and cons. And so um, PA was for me. And, and you know, obviously I, I'll promote that one because that's what I know. But, you know, uh, but all of them are great. And so um, people should should take the opportunity to read to do that deeper dive into any of those types of positions. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, thank you. Thank you so much, Cole. We do appreciate it. You did what I did not do, and that was enough research. And like Kimmy said, we we harp on that all the time, just from our own experiences. And you just proved like why it's important to do research because there's people like you mentioned the patient care hours. Whether you're going to nursing, I know where I work currently, you have to get a CNA before you can even apply to the nursing program. And there's plenty of students that come back and they're like, I've been a CNA, I can't do this. And it's like, okay, great. You just saved yourself XYZ number of years of this education that you're not going to even like. And that could be for anything. That could be for medical field. That could be for law school. That could be for government. That could be for a variety of things. So to say it again we just harp on it all the time do your research do your shadowing cole just mentioned all these things that he did connections going out on a limb to ask somebody like if you're at the, if you're at the doctor's office and you're like oh like what do you do like why are you taking my blood why are you giving me this why are you doing that like how'd you get here basically is the simplest way we see doctors all the time hopefully we see doctors all the time if you're going to a doctor or a medical provider regularly even your dentist ask them you know asking them right there they're right there you're hard you're, it's hard to talk while you're in the chair but you know you can ask any of them the dentist the dental assistant there's just a variety of careers in the medical field like we've already mentioned so do your research on everything you do whatever field you want to go into so we're just harping on that we'll continue to harp on it so yeah thank you again cole we really appreciate you being here um, maybe there's a part two in the future because I feel like <laughs> I feel like the PA profession is very extensive. Maybe after you get into your new like full time role, there's more we can talk about. You also mentioned being in some associations, so I feel like there's a part two to this for sure. So yeah, thank you again for being here, um, and thank you everybody for listening. We hope you got a lot of great information um, about the PA field, but also just about how you can start your career search in general. I think Cole just provided a wealth of information on how to generate a search for for a career wherever you are in life. So thank you all for listening. Stay tuned. We have a lot more um, career chats coming. If you haven't, if this is your first one that you listened to, you've listened to, make sure to go back and listen to our other ones as well. We've talked to people in communications, business, film, production, or production assistant. So we have a lot already and we have a lot more coming um check us out on our instagram and our tiktok we are yasin podcast just y-a-w-s-y-n podcast you can email us if you have more that you want us to talk about and we haven't touched on it yet shoot us an email shoot us a dm um, and if you want to bless us in another way financially our venmo is in the description box but or in the show notes excuse me we're not on YouTube yet, but our um, Venmo's in the show notes. But yeah, a like, a subscribe, a share is always a blessing to us. And we thank you so much. Um, so stay tuned and we will see you next time. Bye. See y'all.
Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening to the latest episode of Your Advisors. We'll see you now. Please make sure to follow us on all of our social media pages and check out our website. Take a look at the show notes below. And please make sure to subscribe and share this podcast. Also, show us some love and please leave a five-star review. Catch you next time. See ya.